And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where we really do tell you about some of the greatest conversations happening in your faith and all in one location, Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I'm H1K. As we dive into the conversations today, we're also in celebration. Our friends at Restless celebrating their 150th episode and discussing something very important to all of us in our faith, and that is friendships. How do we have those vulnerable ones? How do we take away our fears of what it might mean to open up to someone or how to heal from it when we have and it backfired. That lack of ability in our friendships can sometimes affect us in our faith and how we trust God. So let's dive into the conversation and celebrate with Restless on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast. Welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and you've joined myself and Joe as together we restlessly seek the face of Christ in the midst of today's crazy and mixed-up world. One of the things that helps gets us through this crazy and mixed-up world is friends. You know, we've had an episode on friendships, but it's a a topic that we can return to because it's a topic that, as young adults, something that we kind of grapple with quite a bit, you know? How do we develop friendships and how do we develop deep friendships? Because a lot of times, as young adults, we have a lot of very surface-level friendships. We have perhaps acquaintances at work, people we may go out to drink with, but how do we get to that point where we have friends that we can really kind of really share our heart with. And uh, and I know, you know, Joe, you were talking about kind of that experience to me earlier about how you had uh, that friend that you could really kind of share deeply with. And like, let's talk about like, how do you develop that friendship? So tell us first your experience. Sure. Yeah. The, um, the genesis of this episode topic was, um, so I, I've just finished my first year of seminary, um, which was a spirituality year. Hey, praise God. Woo-hoo. Yep. One down, six to go. Who's counting? And, um, <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so like the first year of seminary, you know, it was different than other years. It will be there's only about twenty of us in a house um, with one priest and with no technology, mostly in contact with each other alone. And so you develop, you know, like a high level of familiarity with each other very quickly. Um, and then at the beginning of the second semester, we do this poverty immersion. We're sent out sort of in pairs to a kind of random location, and we work there for a month. Again, we don't have our phones. You're just with that guy and the people you're serving. And I happen to be with a really great, really great guy um, who became a very, very close friend of mine over the course of that month. And he had been a net minister. I don't know if you know net, net ministries. Oh, yeah. National Evangelization Teams, I think it is. Something it's, like that, uh, yeah. based out of Minnesota. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They go around for a year and give retreats. Yeah, so it's a really great program, which he was a part of prior to entering seminary. And um, he was telling me that net taught him the difference between intimacy and familiarity. There's a lot of times we have familial, familiar relationships, right? So like... Um, you know, you know, if you live with somebody for long enough, you know a lot about them, right? Like you live with one priest at this point, you probably know a lot of facts about him and could probably like describe his like routine very accurately. That doesn't actually equal intimacy. And so even in a family, you can end up with very familiar, familiar relationships, right? Where you know a lot about somebody, but you don't actually know them in a deep way. And you're saying that net taught, net really focuses on growth and intimacy with people you're with. And so there's this idea of a brotherhood and sisterhood among the net missionaries. And they sort of intentionally foster like a sharing of oneself with each other. Um, and so part of the poverty immersion, we were supposed to at night, either prior to or or, um, at, or or after night prayer, kind of just touch base better day and share graces and whatnot. And we did, but we did more. I mean, we, we spoke for almost an hour most nights, if not more. And he was extremely vulnerable at the beginning, and I, which kind of helped me to do likewise. And it just the whole experience taught me the incredible benefit of being willing to be vulnerable enough to share yourself with somebody else. And um, I didn't realize in the first semester how much I, I needed that until I had it in the second semester. Because we went back to the year 
but we had this relationship now. And so when things were going poorly in my life or in his life or in both, we all had like knew what was going on in each other's lives and we had a kind of a context to work out of and a care for each other. And so it just it totally changed my experience spiritual year, like completely. Um, and I was very grateful for that experience. And I just think that especially men, but in general, people have a very difficult time foster, like looking for, finding, fostering, maintaining intimate relationships with each other that are, in, that are not romantic relationships. Right, right. Because I mean... We, anytime we say the word intimacy, it's always kind of assumed that it's romantic right. intimacy. But the truth is we need intimacy with God, yeah. with Jesus Christ. We need intimacy with one another. Yeah. You know, it's just that, and I, I love what the Sisters of Life say, intimacy is into me see, mm. you know, seeing into another person sure. and get to know them as, as a person. Yeah, and it's funny. My um, So the director, my director on my 30-day retreat, um, he was asking me to meditate one day on the ways God has kind of reached out to me in my life. And what it came up as was really just relationships and friendships. And he said, well, that's good because we think of the seven sacraments, but the reality is that if a sacrament is just a visible sign of an invisible grace, then friends are also a sacramental sign to us. They're a sacramental sign of God's intimate love with us. And so that's awesome, right? I will have a theological quibble with that. Why? Because <laughs> a sacrament is an, an visible sign that gives grace that was instituted by Christ. Sure. Yeah, but um, yeah. but 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 Jesus didn't didn't institute the brown scapula, which is the sacramental. So like we're talking sacramental, about, right? Different yeah, so sacrament, sacrament, yeah. sort of a sub sacrament thing. Yeah, right? yeah. But yeah, but you're right. That, it's sacramental small s. Yeah, we could say yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you've having known you for ten years now, or yeah. more, or twelve years. You know, I know that you've well, had many rich relationships, right? I mean, you're still like best friends with the best friend you had when you were thirteen. Well, or, when I was seven. Seven. Like, yeah, yeah, six, yeah, yeah seven like years that, old. Yeah. And and yeah, yeah, so yeah. so is is this in any way different than the intimacy you have with your best friend that's not in seminary? Um, well, I mean, I, th I think yes, in, in one sense, which is that we were, Alex and I, the guy that I was on poverty immersion with, are operating out of a much more similar sort of framework of the world, right? Like, uh, my best friend is not um, as committed a Catholic as seminarians are. <laughs> and, uh, well, it's hard to reach that level, sure. but yeah, well, uh, or it's actually quite easy to exceed it usually. But um, <laughs> um, uh, and we're both in seminary, so like living the same experiences. But um, no, I think you're right. Like relationships do mean a lot to me, and always have meant a lot to me. So in a sense, this is grace building on nature. But um, that doesn't, yeah, I don't think I had, I don't, I didn't have, I didn't have an appreciation for the importance of intimacy or what it really meant to be intimate with somebody. Right. Like we hear the word intimate, we use it. Our culture uses it as a shorthand for sex, right? Right. Um, and that's just that's just that's just wrong. Um, uh, yeah. So I just it's, it's in a and we were talking just before about how one of the problems with young adult ministry is that young adults aren't stable. Like they move a lot, so you might have ten people one day, and the next week everybody's moved away. And so I think mm. that that, all, that culture also makes it hard to develop these intimate relationships, right? Because it's like, well, I have friends from college who I was close with who I haven't seen in, in three years. So it's like, all right, well, we shared a lot of experiences for three years, and then, we, then we're apart. And like, how does it work? We're all moving, doing different things, you know? Yeah. And it must be hard for you because, I mean, you, I mean, now you've been stable in one place, but, you know, you've switched. You, you moved from Maryland to, to Connecticut. It's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not close. You must have had to lose some relationships in that, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, I've lost, I've lost uh, most of I can't. I can think of like maybe two friends that I still, maybe three friends that I still speak right. with from my Maryland days. Yeah. But that's, I think that's just a natural um, reality of life. But but I do agree with you that I think you can't really grow in intimacy if you're changing your, your location every three years, which is why I think a lot of young adults uh, maybe have an intimate relationship with their family members more than their friends because that's uh, kind of more of a stable influence in their life. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, intimacy requires going beyond the surface. 
right? So it can't just be how's work. Like that's fine, you know, at a certain point in a relationship, but um, like a much more, like intimacy requires being willing to be honest about your own faults and your mm. own struggles and your own weaknesses, you know? Um, not not having to put on like the brave face you put onto the world, but with being able to say like, actually, like I'm like, this is what I'm actually dealing with and I'm telling you because I want someone else to know, you know? And what I found, which surprised me is that um, like the more he and I did share our lives with each other over this over this poverty immersion. And then after that, the more I wanted to share where like, maybe like I said, like I do value friendships and stuff, but I do also to hold something that's kind of close to the best and don't want to like share a certain thing. And we all are like that. We all don't want to share certain things about ourselves. Sure. But what I realized is the more you did, the more I did share, the more I wanted to share. And the more I just mattered to me that somebody else knew. And, and there's something about saying something to somebody else that is sort of freeing. It almost like, um, like to say, like you know, um, whatever my struggle is is X, almost like detach the X from yourself, right? Where it's like it's not just in, only in my head now, but it's also like out there. I've said it, which means I have power over it to some extent. Like I was willing to acknowledge it. Like it's not I'm not right. hiding from it. Yeah, you brought it to the light. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then now that you said that, somebody can say to you a week later, "Hey, how are we doing with X?" You know what I mean? Like there's also an accountability level that you trust somebody with, you know? But the, but you you use that word vulnerability, yeah. you know, and that's not easy, especially for guys. Yeah, you know, as, you know, being a guy. Sure. And uh, so I don't know how you get to that point, you know, I think because I think vulnerability is the flip side of trust. Right. And yeah. and for me, at least, it takes quite a while for me to trust somebody. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think I could do it within six months of okay. meeting someone. Sure. I mean, he and I had lived together in seminary in the same house, seen each other every day since August. Right. At this point, it was in mid-January. When, yeah. So, if, when, you know, so, so we know each other for a good bit of time. And also just like, again, this is a specific situation to me, but like in this situation, he was much more vulnerable b before I was. And so that was one of those things like, all right, well, he just told me all this stuff about himself. So like, obviously he trusts me and there's like a parody here. So like, mm. I'm, it's not like I'm like, I'm not like, um, like losing something by telling him these things. Like he already told me about himself. So like, what's there to lose type thing? Like, he's not going to go around saying it because like, I know things about him now too, right? Like there's like an obvious parody there. But there's the thing, I think vulnerability uh, invites more vulnerability from the other person, right? So, yeah. so if one person kind of expresses, "Hey, I really trust you," right, then that kind of says, "Well, okay, I guess, I guess I have a little bit more openness to trusting you back." Right, right. Yeah, no, there's like a like a give and take. It's like after the thirty day retreat, we did a sharing of graces session at the retreat house with the guys from Chicago whom we had made the retreat with, which is nice. We also did one just in our own house back in Philly, which was much better because we knew each other. And you just like, we all had a comments and experiences to work off of and we all knew each other well enough to like be, be honest and not have to hide, you know, not have, be, be much more comfortable. You know what I mean? Um, so like, that's like a smaller group. And that's the other thing is that size is a, is a relevant consideration here. Like you can't be intimate in a group of a thousand people. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You'd be intimate with one person or a few people. Right. And that's, you know, I, when I started doing youth ministry many years ago, I was kind of like, all right, all about small groups, you know, it's small group discussions, how we take talks and kind of make them interior but I realized there's there's a limit to small group discussions because a lot of times like you're you're wanting vulnerability, you're wanting people to be honest with their thoughts. But the truth is like these teens just kind of like got together in a group and they're not necessarily friends. They don't necessarily right. trust each other, or know each other, so they're not going to be open or vulnerable. Right. 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 You need that baseline there. Yeah, and they, I, like you know, I didn't choose Alex as my poverty immersion partner. This was chosen for me. But um, 
but and it worked out really well but like it could have not and i'm sure there are groups where, where it was different right and so like you can't um if you're if, if the if the pairing is being imposed on a group then like it's just anyone's guess as to whether it's going to work or not right yeah i mean we did they did something like this at the end of the spiritual year the seminary the psychologist for the seminary started doing small groups in our house i'm using these scare quotes because small group meant nine guys in a group that's group. not a small group that's right. a huge so, group oh right. nine so, like, guys and so like it was nice and i got the idea but ultimately, in a group of nine people, there's going to be people who you don't want to be, you don't want to share certain things with. Sure, yeah. In part because maybe your frustration is about somebody in the group, right? Where it's like, <laughs> no, I mean, but seriously, I mean, living with that many guys in close proximity, and like with one person, you can be like, yeah, like you know, you won't believe what so and so just said. Like classic, I need to complain about it to you. Or I'm going to go crazy type thing, right? Um, but like if so and so is in your group, or like his best friends in your group, or like what you know what I mean? It's just it's a different, it's a different thing entirely. Too big. Well, that's one of the things that I've I've always been fascinated with, but also you know it's it's something that's so outside of our control is group dynamics. You know why does one group work and one group not yeah. work? And probably like all of us young adults who who are, are listening to this have had that experience of like like maybe you're, like you're trying to fit into this Bible study, or you're trying to fit into this men's group, you know whatever, and maybe maybe it clicks with one and it doesn't click with the other, and the other was just kind of like this awkward thing that fizzles out, and there's no you know no real friendship. But the other one is like immediately your your brothers with them and. And that's the hardest thing is that it's not something that we really can control. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and and the funny thing is that it is not the case that if a group dynamic doesn't work, it's because there's somebody, there's something wrong with somebody in the group. I right, mean, it could um, just be they don't don't jive together. Yeah, I mean, like one of our professors at seminary likes to point out that there are some saints who couldn't have lived with some other saints. And that's just reality. Like, just because you're a good person doesn't mean you can get along with everybody. Oh, I don't think I could live with some of the saints yeah. that are out there. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, so I won't name names. <laughs> okay okay saint therese all right saint therese you. <laughs> that's kind of a, okay it's fine no no everyone <laughs> loves her but i don't know i would struggle with her i'll struggle with her yeah because she came from a rich like a rich uh background and in her writings and and i've grown in appreciation for her over the last couple of years i reread uh story of a soul okay but like you know she was kind of like I, I remember her writing you know about how how so much she's suffering because she didn't feel jesus's presence in like 18 months and I'm like, okay, look at Mother Teresa, like 35 years. Okay, sure. then come back and talk to me. Yeah. Like 18 months, I've had 18 months of dryness and prayer. Like right, that's right, not right. the end of the world. Yeah, no, you probably shouldn't live together then. Hopefully heaven, <laughs> oh, they say heaven has a lot of rooms, right? That's right. So, <laughs> that's right. Um, saint Teresa's hers. That's right. And you have your spirit. But yeah, she's in heaven, so she's, you know, I, I can't like criticize the saint. But that's also something about that, right? Like he, I, I like to think of heaven as like the, just the perfection of relationships, right? Like in heaven, we're all in perfect accord with each other. Like the sort of the, the suspicion and the discord that that the fall fosters among peoples is gone in heaven, right? Because we're all properly oriented towards the Father, so we're also all properly oriented with each other. Yeah, and that's like so an intimate relationship is in some ways a participation in that now, right? Where it's like me and this other person are, are sort of one mind. Like to ask me a question is to ask him a question, sort of, sort of like we know each other so well that there's an intimacy. Obviously, that we're talking about intimacy, but there's like a, a point you reach where it's like, like I know you well enough that, I, like, I kind of like even if I know I'm gonna frustrate with you, like I kind of. I don't know, like in a meta sense, like I'm not. Like I just, we're just kind of like, we're just like in perfect relationship. And and that's like, that's just a taste of what heaven would be like, right? Yeah. Um, but also in heaven, I think there's no secrets, right? I mean, right. there's nothing that's dark it's about us. Because there's, there's no need for vulnerability in some sense. Yeah, or we can say we're perfectly vulnerable, right? Because right. we can almost yeah, like see totally through the other person, like they're transparent, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and see God totally reflected in them, which is which is what we get a glimpse of here on earth because we're intimate you know, we, we get to know people and, and we recognize the way in which God reveals himself through them. You know, and that was something I was reflecting on uh, not too long ago. It was kind of, you know, I've been very great. I'm so, so blessed right now. And, and that's uh, here in Connecticut to have so many rich relationships with wonderful people. Yeah. Um, 
and and it's a beautiful thing. And and I was reflecting on that because one of my struggles and temptations, and and I know you've shared kind of you have the same things to kind of like um, think more about the person than about Christ, right? And kind of love the creature and not the creator. Yeah. And when I was praying about that, I was kind of like, you know what? I need to use these people, not not in a bad sense, but you know, you kind of like see these people as reflecting different aspects of God. Hmm. Right? So I'm like, Lord, I thank you for the the sense of humor that I sense in this person. I sent you, thank you for the strength in this person, the compassion in this person. Because yeah. all that's a different way in which God is reflected through these people. And, and that's why it's um, so good, you know, at least for me as a priest, and I'm sure even for married couples too, to have a wide variety of relationships. Because your spouse can't re- reflect every aspect of God to you. You know, your spouse has one right. or two or, or maybe 10 characteristics of God, but not everyone. Right. It's also, um, yeah, the, 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 the potential downs or like pitfall in this sort of thing, right, is to try, is to expect the person with whom you have this intimate relationship um, to fulfill you because they can't ultimately. Right. right. Only God can. And I saw this, I see this myself all the time. Um, and also it ends up playing on your own insecurities. And so you get to the point where it's like, why didn't he sit next to me at lunch today? Why is he talking to other people? I thought we were the friends. And like, it's like, stop. Like, because this, this you can't expect a person or even a group of people, even your spouse to fulfill you ultimately. That's like, that's actually not fair of you to expect. And you, you they will, because they can't do it, you will resent them for it if you expect it. Yeah. And then now, now we're letting it, putting like friction between you. And this is the enmity, right? This is the suspicion that exists between us because of the fall. Um, and so I think it's just something to be aware of. It's like, just because you're sharing yourself with somebody doesn't mean that you're like now one person who have to or 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 um, doesn't mean that doesn't mean that they're they're your God right like that's not yeah like they are again a sign pointing you to Christ and authentic human love should lead to greater freedom right there is in in a sense especially with marriage that that the two people are united in that there there is an exclusivity there but with friendship I don't think there's an ex- there shouldn't be an exclusivity right I mean I can be friends with John. But John is also free to be friends with Mike, you know. Right, it's, right. it's actually the opposite, right? It should be that because you're so such so close with somebody, the fact they don't call you one day shouldn't like drive you crazy, right? Like it should be like, well, like, but I know that we're good friends, so like we're fine. Yeah. So like, if you just met somebody and you see something, you might kind of think to yourself, oh, I hope I didn't offend them. Like I don't know them well enough. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. But and with an intimate friend, like I should just know whether you know what I mean. Like with you, I mean, again, we know each other for so long. I should, I, I think I would know if I at what lines I if I crossed the line or not be, because I mean we know each other well enough, right? But if we had just met, I'd be like, well, I don't know. I'm like maybe he did find that offensive. Like maybe, but now I'm like, well, no, that's just how he like. It's not that behavior he just showed isn't him being upset with me. It's just how he reacts to X situation which happened to occur. And like you know that, so there should be a confidence that you take from a strong relationship like this right. that, that doesn't make you second guess it. It actually gives you, like you said, it gives you the freedom to move to other relationships knowing that you have this one too, that you're not going to lose. Yeah. Well, I think you bring up a good point about the insecurities, right? And that's that's something that I think a lot of young adults uh, and even myself and probably you, you know, have, because all of us have insecurities about right. this, that, and the other thing. And that, that can be a real hindrance to a healthy relationship because we are wondering, like we all want to know that we are loved and that we're lovable. And ultimately, we should be looking to Christ for that infinite, infinite love. But the fact is, and this is something I always grapple with, like, all right, when I see Christ, I'm not going to need anything else. I'm going to know that I'm totally loved and I'm going to be completely happy, but I don't see Christ, right? I see him through faith, but not with my eyes, not with my senses. And so that's why I need these signs of his love. And a lot of the times, the signs of his love come through people, through other people's love for me and my love for them. So, but hopefully we get to the point in our relationship with Christ and just the healing that takes place throughout our, our life where we don't feel like we need the validation, where we can be at peace and, and not insecure about, you know, oh, I, I'm, 
I want this relationship because I need to feel loved. But rather, I, I want this relationship because it is good. Right. And because I can give to this relationship. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. So, but here's the question, right? How many, how many, uh, as a young adult, how many like deep, intimate relationships can one sustain? Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. Um, like not a ton, right? I mean, um, I don't, I don't have an exact number, but I do know that also you have to be willing to let these things go sometimes, because um, a lot of times these are these relationships are products of circumstances, and circumstances change. So, like my friend Alex, right, just turned out of seminary, so it changes the entire dynamic now, right? Like I'm not gonna see him every day. He's going to move on to other things in his life. So am I. We can stay friends, but like... But he probably doesn't even live anywhere near, right? Uh, no, he doesn't. Uh, I mean, I'm still going down to school in Philly, right? So, um, and I I am, like, I'm personally, I'm reasonably good at maintaining long-distance friendships with people. But it was never, it's never going to be the same thing, right? Right. Um, and that was not easy, right? Um, but this is a question of attachment now, right? And it's like, well, who, is it the creature or the, cre- or the, or the creator, right? And so... Um, and that the death of that relationship will ultimately give rise to new ones. And I already kind of see that at work in my own life. Right. And so Good. I don't know how many, I don't think you can, you know, this is not something that's really in our control. You can't will a, an intimate relationship with somebody into existence. Right. Right. Um, it, it's, it's, it's the product of so complicated a set of circumstances. You have to just chalk it up to, to God yeah. saying you need this person in your life right now. And I think we could pray for it. Yeah. Pray for yeah. intimate friendships. Cause I know a lot of young adults struggle with loneliness. Yeah. And maybe a lot of surface level relationships, but not, not a deep one. Yeah, but you know, the times I've been most lonely in my life, look, looking back on them, the, universally, and I'm sure this is the case with you, have always been a time in which God's been inviting me into a deep relationship with him. Oh, yes. You know, especially like I am not good. And I think you're the same way. I'm not good at saying no to plans. Like, I like to be involved. Like, I just, <laughs> yes. I just like a FOMO thing. You know what I mean? Like I, just, I like to be available to people. Big time FOMO. And so sometimes I literally have to, like God has to literally take away the ability for me to hang out with people, for me to spend any time with him, to be honest with you. It's like... um for, for all of our listeners over 40, FOMO stands oh, yeah. for fear, fear of missing, missing out. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. For our young little podcast, yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I remember when I was a freshman in college, I had a very difficult time making friends, which was difficult. But I also spent more time in the chapel than I did, you know, in the five years prior to that and five years after that, probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and there's a gift in that, too. There is definitely a gift in that. Absolutely. And so, for all the young adults listening who are struggling, perhaps, to make deep friendships, maybe that's what God is inviting us to. And and as a priest, I can tell you, for me, one of the, the more difficult times, it's actually gotten a lot less difficult the older I get, uh, but the, one of the more difficult times when I was a young priest was Sunday afternoons. Yeah. Because you kind of are on this like high in the Sunday mornings, like you're greeting all sorts of people, you're seeing like literally thousands of people walk through yeah. your doors and you know a lot of their names, you know a lot of their stories, you have some great conversations. And then Sunday afternoon hits, they go home with their families and you're left alone in this empty rectory. Yeah. And kind of like, ah, you know. But I've always found, I've tried to turn loneliness into solitude. Right. You know, being alone with the Lord, alone with the alone. And it, it's actually kind of been a profound meditation when I would go into the chapel. We have a chapel in the, in the rectory at St. Jude's where I live. And I go into that chapel and I think, Jesus is alone. You know, here he is ignored in a lot yeah. of churches. You know, there's a lot of times that he, nobody ever visits him. And, yeah. and just kind of maybe projecting a human image onto him. What must he feel? Right. Yeah, it was funny. So this this last summer was my first time living in a parish full time, right? My first summer assignment in a seminary. It was only a month because of the retreat. And I really wasn't alone very much for, for a while. Like it was pretty busy. We were doing things. Um, good priests, they stayed active. We'd be invited over to families' houses. The first time I really had to make, be alone was there was like a Friday when the pastor was busy. He had plans, which I couldn't I couldn't go to, which was fine. But I was, I was, it wasn't like I was a day off, so I couldn't go home during the day. So I was at the rectory on a Friday. So I texted a few seminarians, but nobody was around. And I was, I kind of could feel panic, panic rising up in me a little bit. Like, what am I going to do? And I was like, you know what? Like, 
I will have to be alone sometimes as a priest. This is fine. Like, I, yeah. I, I can be alone for an evening. This is fine. So, so like, I got myself dinner, watched, like, just hung out, read a little bit, a little scotch, watched TV, right? Like, so, um, so like, <laughs> drinking alone, the first sign of a problem. No, I wasn't. No, I'm I, totally I was the totally Fiend of Saints. Um, and so, um, <laughs> um, but you know, it's like you have to be willing to be alone sometimes. It's, it's fine. You know yeah. I mean? And like, I walking out of that, I was like, yeah, like, that, that, like, that wasn't, that was, it was actually good to, good to catch my breath a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And as young adults, that's something we have to be okay with. Yeah. At the same time, the same time, one of the things I see, especially in the young adults I work with now, is that they kind of, um, a lot of, I mean, I think, I think most people are introverts. Would you agree? Uh, how do you define, how, what, 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 are you, what definition are you working off of? I know there's a lot of different definitions. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think most people are not comfortable taking the first step in a relationship. Okay. See, this is, so this is not how I think of this. I have like a very firm definition of, it, of introvert extrovert that I operate off of. So to me, that's shyness, not introvert. Okay. So maybe shyness. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. most people are, are shy. To, me, and to, be, and to be an introvert to me is someone who gets energy being alone and spends energy being with people. Whereas an extrovert is somebody who spends energy being alone and gains energy by being with people. And yeah. you can be shy. I'm shy, but I'm definitely not an introvert. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Okay. That's fair. I mean, that's I think fair. a lot of people, people I think are shy in, in awkward, in awkward and, new situations. For all sure. right. Okay. But I think most people, you know, feel uncomfortable taking that first yes. step in relationship. And a lot of young adults feel that way. You know, I was reading an article recently um, on some Catholic website about, about how, and it was a really interesting article because, you know, you hear a lot, of, a lot in the church, like, oh, the church isn't welcoming. The church isn't welcoming. And this article basically said, if you want the church to be welcoming, go out and greet somebody. Because a lot of young adults will go to a parish and be like, well, they're not, they're not seeing me. They're not welcoming me. Well, have you right, yes, turned around in your pew and said, hi, I'm John. And, you know, because I mean, and, and we all feel awkward. And I think it's because of, you know, perhaps the rejection we experienced in middle school or whatever, you know, but, but I think that's an important step to forming that intimacy. It's, it's not going to fall in your lap. You have to, you have to work at it. You have to meet people. You have to go to young adult events. You have yeah. to, you know, volunteer at your parish, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. No, I do agree with that though. I do also think that Catholics could do better with this. I mean, I've, I don't, I don't know this cause I'm not a Protestant obviously, but it seems like Protestant churches are very good about like, all right, you just listen to me talk to you for two hours. Like have a donut, like hang out and like talk to people and like have some coffee and relax and stuff. But you have to talk to people. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you're going to stand there with a coffee cup in your hand and not talk to anybody, yeah. you're never going to experience a deep relationship. Well, I know I am thankful for my friendships, the deep ones, the ones that have been there for decades in some cases. I'm very fortunate to have that in my life, and I hope you do as well. Great conversations with Restless as we celebrate their 150th episode. You want to find out more on previous ones that you might have missed, you got 149 more to go. Uh, but check it out at EWTN.com slash radio and just click on Podcast Central. I'm Ace McKay. When we come back, we're going to dive into more celebrations as we continue 10 years Plus, for Catholic women now, and as we dive into the story of St. Therese, we're going to have a segment that they call Truth, Beauty, and Goodness, next on Catholics Coast to Coast. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. about the things that matter most to you. Catholic Women Now. 
Welcome to Catholic Women Now here on Iowa Catholic Radio. I'm Julie Nelson. Good morning. I'm Chris Magruder. How are you, Julie? I'm good. We're here together again, right? <laughs> We're here together again. Let's We're see here. now. It's 10 years? 10 years? It's we... been 10 years. Um, we should do a celebration show. Right. We should. Actually, we should do, we may, yeah, we got to talk about that. We might do something throughout the whole year and celebrate. Well, okay. We I love that idea. Have cake every day, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We'd get a little heavy there if we did that. Oh, yes. Well, yes. should we start with our Blessed Mother today? Yes. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you just joined us and started listening to Catholic Wigam now, but which I'm going to say, we do have new listeners because in Southern Iowa, we do have broadcasts now down to Southern Iowa. So welcome yes, new listeners to yes, Catholic Women Now. Yes. Uh, we appreciate your prayers. We pray for you every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, we, uh, do. we do. Anyway, so we do a truth, beauty, and goodness segment every week. And uh, so Chris, I'm going to ask you, what's your truth, beauty, and goodness? My today? truth, beauty, and goodness, because we're going to be talking about St. Therese today, one of my most favorite saints. I just wanted to share, um, I had a little story with St. Therese one time when I was trying to sell a house, one time when I was praying about somebody who was ill, um, another time when I had asked for help um, with whether or not my daughter was supposed to be taking a certain job, and I got roses. And so, you know, today we're going to be talking about St. Therese, and one of the things she says is, um, I will spend my time in heaven doing good upon earth and showering earth with roses. And so, so I'm just encouraging listeners, I receive my roses. Um Become a friend of St. Therese because she will shower you with roses. And I like how you, it's not always flowers. Like you'll see roses, you got a dress one day in the mail. And it had roses on it. It had roses on it. Yes. I had a friend give me a rose bush one time. Yes. Yeah. It's just out of the blue. It's just not that. It's Mm -hmm. not just what you think. Right. right? Sign, a sign of roses. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've had one experience of that with her. Mm -hmm. And I had a rose bush in the backyard that was there when we moved in. I didn't take care of it. It was like in November. I thought, okay, I'm going to do this novena. I think I you told me about it. So I'm, like, I'm going to do it. And on the, the last day, I looked out and there was a one one bloom on that dead looking rose bush. Uh, and I'm like, oh, uh, that's back before you had camera phones. To take my, my grandma actually, when she was telling me about St. Therese, she said in the middle of winter, she had a rose bloom. Yeah, and I was I like, believe, okay, I'm in. Yeah, you know, Saint Therese be my friend. <laughs> so yeah, that's mine today. And, and so we're going to have a, our guest today is Mary Beth Bracy, and she's going to be talking about a new book, um, new new to us book of um, on Saint Therese, and it's entitled "I Would Like to Travel the World," and it's by Bishop Guy Goucher, and she's going to talk us a little bit about more about that. But maybe she can share a little bit more about the novena too, and what mm-hmm. that means with mm-hmm. the roses and how you how how you petition Saint Therese. Yeah, we will have to remember to ask her that. Yeah. I'm yeah. making a little note of that. Yes. <laughs> so real quickly, my truth, beauty, and goodness is um, this gal. This uh, She was a focus missionary, I believe. And she lived in New York City and went to Parsons School Designing. You know, I love all that kind of stuff. Mm. And uh, she and another friend decided to start a clothing company for modest clothing. And they call it Litany. I NYC. love that modest clothing. Yeah. Nice. Lit- Litany NYC. And I've looked it up. It's, it's very beautifully, tastefully done. But in the process of all this, she got a call to become a nun, a Dominican nun. So she... She became, she's a professor vows, her first profession of vows. Her name is now um, Sister Maria Dominique. Okay. And uh, the, the, the personal side of this, when my daughter Mary and I were in New York City, we had dinner with Christina Banuelos, uh-huh. which many of you know, her parents. 
you're in Des Moines and Christ, it's her, Christina's roommate. Oh, and she was wow. telling us about, she had a roommate who was, who started this company was thinking about becoming a nun discerning. It. I think the Lord was trying to tell her, here's the modest clothing. I really want you to wear. That's right. A new habit. Yeah. <laughs> a new habit. Yeah. A new habit. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, let's introduce Mary Beth. Ready? Yes. You go. Mary Beth Bracey is a spokesperson for the deceased author of the book, I Would Like to Travel the World by Bishop Guy Goucher. He's the Emeritus Bishop of Bayou and Lazoux, France. And this book tells of modern day healings obtained through St. Teresa's intercession and the spiritual impact she has had on the world. And it's amazing. This, this woman is still impacting the world, you know, a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. So, and this book is actually, it was originally written um, and came out, I believe in 2003 in French. So it's not a new book. It's a book that, um, you know, is just being uh, translated into English for all of us. Right. Yeah. So yeah. let's welcome Mary Beth to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. So exciting to have you. So tell us a little bit, Mary Beth, you, I'm assuming, have a relationship with St. Therese of Lisieux. Um, Tell us a little bit about your relationship with her to start us off. Sure. So I first met St. Therese when I was preparing for my confirmation, and I was looking through a book of the saints to try to pick my name. And her picture She's holding roses. It's a beautiful painting of her. She just looked so beautiful. I was attracted to it. And I realized also that we shared the same birth date. And as I was reading about her spirituality, it kind of struck me as a shortcut to heaven. And I said, I need to take that road. So that's kind of how our journey began. And shortly after that, I feel like she kind of um, was working in my life because I began writing as a teenager and publishing things, Catholic articles and so on. And then over time, I believe she also interceded for my vocation. I would look in one direction and kind of like a, a good older sister should be like, um, not this road. Let's go down this one instead. <laughs> so sometimes she would kind of redirect me. Also in my personal life, um, I had a few nieces who I believed were healed through her intercession. Some of my nieces are twins. And when they were born, they weighed less than a pound and a half each. So the doctor did not expect them to live through the night. And St. Therese is one of the saints we invoked. And my nieces are now 25. And one of them is named after St. Therese. And oh, beautiful. Yes. Wow. That's also, a few, a few years ago, also, um, one of my great nieces, who is also my goddaughter, became very ill and she spent the better part of a year in a children's hospital. Um, she developed a condition as a, as a result of a reaction to an antibiotic and it was destroying her lungs. And so she almost died several times, but my mother and I went to visit her in intensive care and we brought her a first class relic of St. Therese and her parents would touch it to her um, every day and pray for St. Therese's intercession. And she's doing wonderfully now. She's running around. She's going to school. She's able to to breathe on her own. So I, I really believe St. Therese has helped us out many times. Oh, my. Okay, yeah. so I'm just curious. What was that first-class relic? Was it a piece of bone, hair? Um, yes, it was a piece of bone. Okay. Wow. She's Amazing. like, she's a family member now. Yes. Right? She's part of the family. She's just <laughs> right there with you. <laughs> or, sure. or we're part of her family, right? She's adopted us by the people. She's... Um, okay. So tell us a little bit about the author too. Um, Bishop Goucher's relationship with St. Therese. Uh, how did he, how did she affect his life? Do you know? Yes. So he was the bishop of her hometown, as you mentioned in Lejeu. And he also is really one of the main reasons why she became a doctor of the church. 
because in order for someone to become a doctor of the church, all of their writings have to be gone through with scrutiny. So he really came up with a critical edition of her work, and he helped review that, which made that possible. Additionally, he also just received floods and floods of stories about St. Therese's intercession, which he ultimately selected 17 of, which are in this book, I Would Like to Travel the World as well. So he experienced her intercession, and as he's writing it, he begins the opening pages by saying, I can see her Carmel from my window. And so he he was very um, intimately devoted to St. Therese. Wow, beautiful. That is. You know what? Uh, you said the word Carmel. Uh, in case some of our listeners aren't familiar with that term, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so the Carmel is where the Carmelite sisters live. It's it's their convent, their cloister, their enclosure. Okay. Okay, okay very good. Well, we're bumping it back against the clock for a little break here. When we come back, we are going to talk more with Mary Beth Bracey about St. Therese, and I would like to travel the world um, that Bishop Goucher wrote for St. Therese to teach us all more about her. Welcome back to Catholic Women Now with Chris Magruder and Julie Nelson. We are talking today with Mary Beth Bracey, who is the spokesperson for um, the deceased author of I Would Like to Travel the World. That was Bishop Guy Goucher. And um, Mary Beth, we left and we were talking about St. Therese and how she affected the bishop's life, how your life was affected. But one of the things that they talk about is God's merciful love always waits for those who believe. God's merciful love always waits for those who believe. Can you tell us a little bit about how we'll see that theme throughout this book? Definitely. So in fact, Bishop Goucher said he wrote this book to relate to how St. Therese talked about how she wanted to praise the mercies of the Lord. And I think it's evident throughout this book, not only in terms of people who receive physical healings, but also mental, spiritual, or emotional healings. And in fact, some of them had no faith at all or were very much opposed to the faith when they first encountered St. Therese. But maybe they saw a picture of her. Maybe they happened to be walking down the street and see her autobiography and picked it up. Um, Maybe they found a relic on the ground of St. Therese, and it led to a healing. Um, However, in these situations, maybe where someone was marred by addiction or was basically in a very desperate situation, St. Therese would intercede for them, and the fruit was always the same, which is that they would always experience a new outpouring of God's mercy and healing in whatever area of the life they needed that cure. So St. Therese is really a powerful saint, I think, also to think about in terms of God's mercy. When she was young, she did suffer from scrupulosity. However, as a teenager, she had this amazing Christmas grace where she suddenly um, opened her heart in a new way to God's love. And from that moment on, she really testified to his mercy. And in fact, Pope Pius X was so inspired by her little way of confidence and love and her faith in God as father that he lowered the age of First Communion for children because he was so inspired by her childlike way and trust in God's mercy. Wow. Wow. That's, that's very beautiful. Well, there's something else that I I would, did some little research on this book. It's how Bishop Goucher shared throughout the book, St. Therese's insights and how her insights are compared to St. Thomas Aquinas. Wow. And, and, you know, St. Therese, I think to some of us who don't know her at first kind of seems like a little child, cause that's what we call her. But then to compare it to someone like St. Thomas Aquinas just puts a new light on that. Can you, can you fill in a little bit more about that? 
Yes, definitely. I think for that same reason, it was kind of controversial for some people when they first heard she was going to become a doctor of the church because they thought, what could a 24-year-old woman who lived her whole life in a cloister, maybe say compared to somebody like St. Thomas Aquinas, as you mentioned. However, I think that part of being a doctor of the church is that you need to make um, the spirituality accessible, that everyone is able to benefit from it. And so St. Therese is kind of like St. Thomas Aquinas made friendly in a sense, um, because as St. John Paul said, um, she shows us the science of love. So she shows us that feminine genius and her little way when you actually try to live it um, is not something, I guess I would say for the faint of heart in one sense, because it is actually challenging. So I think that's the biggest challenge most of us have is to trust in God totally and to come to him as a little child, because we have a tendency to want to be really self-reliant. So St. Therese not only wrote her autobiography, which has been considered a spiritual masterpiece and comparable, in fact, and also in terms of her poetry to John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila, also doctors of the church, but also she wrote plays, she wrote numerous letters. So her resources are really extensive in what she's given to the church for us all to benefit from. Mm, beautiful. So we mentioned earlier in the show, modern day miracles still occurring uh, because association with St. Therese. Could you share some of those for us? Definitely. One of my favorites is about a woman whose husband was in the hospital and he was only given a few hours to live. And he was basically in a coma at this point. She needed to call her children to come by his side, but she also needed to run out for a moment to get her children some food to eat when they visited at home. So she was in the grocery store parking lot. She happened to look down and at her feet, there was a relic of St. Therese. And it caught her eye and she didn't really have time to think about it. So she grabbed it and she went back to the hospital and she didn't really know if she necessarily believed in it or what to do with it, but her husband was dying. So she touched the relic to his forehead and he immediately woke up. And over the next month or so, he was walking again. He was gardening again. So it was really a remarkable story of healing. There are many other healings as well that were healings emotionally or spiritual in the book too. There's one about a doctor who's an agnostic and he had completely kind of lost the idea of what purpose in life could be and was very depressed. And he was walking down the street and he happened to see St. Therese's autobiography in a store window. He picked it up. At first he thought it was kind of sentimental, so he put it away, but was later drawn back to it again. And he had really a conversion of heart in which he also felt so encouraged and so filled with hope that he became a very joyful um, and fulfilled person. Other examples, for instance, a young man who was really struggling with alcohol addiction. And at one point, he had gone into a bar. He had picked up at a church a St. Therese pamphlet, and he went into this bar, and there was a fireplace in the bar, and he's like, why do I need this? He threw the pamphlet into the fire, and everything burned except for her face, and no one could explain it. He, at first, wasn't quite sure what to think about it. He kind of continued down that road. Um, he even got in a terrible motorcycle accident at one point. But ultimately, he came back to the whole idea of St. Therese, and St. Therese brought him to encounter, as you mentioned before, the mercy of the Lord. So he really had this 
newfound faith and new outlook on life. Wow. There was a little boy also, I know, um, who had been burned badly. Will you share that story? Sure. He was a toddler and he had second degree burns all over his stomach. So he was in the hospital um, and his mother left for a short time. And when she came back, the bandage was gone and she was really concerned and kind of confused by this. And he said, mommy, St. Therese came and she healed me. And the mother was really baffled because here's a toddler who had never heard of St. Therese, but she looked and the nurses looked and all of a sudden the burns had just completely disappeared. So, you know, it is so beautiful to know that, you know, the saints are constantly active in our lives. It's not just the times of a hundred years ago when she lived or her canonization process, but they're here and alive. And I just love how I, the expression I always like is um, the saint. We don't find the saints, the saints find us, which you shared a little bit in your story at the opening of the show that St. Therese found you. And she continues to find people um, through these miracles. So, mm-hmm. well, you're listening to Catholic women now here in Iowa Catholic radio. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we will continue our conversation with Mary Beth Bracey. She is a spokesperson for the deceased author of the book, I Would Like to Travel the World, a book about St. Therese by Bishop Guy Goucher. Welcome back to Catholic Women Now with Chris Magruder and Julie Nelson. We are talking to our guest, Mary Beth Bracey, about a book, I Would Like to Travel the World. And (laughs) St. Therese was a cloistered nun in a convent. She died at age 24 there. And I would like to travel the world is one of the things that she talked about. And I know the book itself is broken up into, you know, the miracles that happen. So she's the miracle worker. Um, she's also a doctor of the church. They talk very much in detail about how that happened and how the priests who kind of rallied to help her to become a doctor. And then also um, how she's a missionary, but it was hard for her to be a missionary. Tell us a little bit about um, how she traveled the world as a sort of missionary despite the fact that she went to heaven pretty early in her life. (laughs) Yes. So St. Therese actually said in her autobiography that she had the vocation of an apostle and she had the desire to preach the gospel on all the five continents simultaneously and even to the earth's remotest isles. So she managed to do that. At the time this book was written, she had already traveled to 27 different countries with her relics. And by so doing, in her life, through her prayers and her sacrifices, she was able to convert people all over the world. Um, there are times, as you mentioned before, that people from different faiths would be drawn all of a sudden to see St. Therese. Sometimes there was some street evangelization going on during her relic tours. And at first, people weren't interested in talking. But then when they would hand them a prayer card or something of St. Therese, then their hearts would kind of soften and they would be interested in having a spiritual conversation. So a lot of non-Christians came to know the Lord that way as well. It is interesting also, I think, to note that St. Therese didn't just go and visit churches or convents. She also went to nursing homes. She went to prisons and she even went to Dachau concentration camp during the relic tour. So she went as you mentioned, also to some of the darkest corners of the world, to the places where people were in most need of God's mercy and healing. Wow. Wow. And she's also been to some Muslim nations. Is that correct? Yes. She's been to many different countries and she continues to travel as well. Mm-hmm. 
I just think that's amazing that she's been in prisons yeah. and she's visited, you know, people who just really don't know the Lord. Um, it, it's just beautiful. And I love the fact that um, she's not incorrupt, but that her bones have traveled. So her, her wish is coming true. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. And she is helping from heaven. Like she mm-hmm. said, you know, mm-hmm. so, so speaking of that, um, we talked earlier about um, our, our Chris and I experiences with doing a novena to St. Therese and her sh- desire to shower the earth with roses. Can you uh, help us to understand how when the, in the novena, how we petition and receive an answer through uh, the, the scene of a rose or roses in our lives? Yes. So it's funny that we call it a novena because usually the, the St. Therese novena is prayed for five days. Um, and you ask the little flower to pick a rose from the heavenly gardens and send it to you as a message of love. And then you say five Our Fathers, five Hail Marys, and five Glory Bees during those five days. On the fifth day, some people also add an additional five Our Fathers, Hail Marys, and Glory Bees in Thanksgiving as well. And as you mentioned, it could be a physical rose. I, I've actually had someone at church walk up to me randomly and hand me um, a dozen roses, even though I barely knew them before on the end of my novena when I was trying to make an important decision. Or some of my priest friends say, I received something in the mail and there was a yellow rose stamp on the front. So it could be something like that too. Other times it's just you you kind of know that even though you might not necessarily receive a physical rose, that St. Therese is behind it because she makes it kind of very clear the path that you're supposed to be walking in as well. And you know what I found that she cares about all the little things, all the little details in life that we care about too. If they're important to us and they're important to the Lord, then St. Therese cares. I know I had a a young woman that I was um, working with and she really wanted to, um, there was a specific young gentleman that she wanted her to ask her to homecoming. And she happened to see, um, uh, she said it felt like I just did this huge bouquet of roses going down the hallway in the high school she was in at the time. <laughs> and she said, I knew that that was my sign. And that young gentleman ended up asking her to homecoming. You know what I mean? So those, those things that are little, you know, but that are important to us, the Lord wants to answer. He knows what, you know, will bring us joy. So I, I just think, you, you know, it's just funny how St. Therese goes along with us, even in the little things. So Mary Beth, I, can you, would you share something from your own life? You said how St. Therese has been a part of your life and a lot of discernments and decisions that you've made along the way, especially your vocation. Can you share a little bit about that experience that you've had with her in that personally? Uh, definitely. So I guess I would just say that um, not long after my confirmation, actually, when I, I went to a World Youth Day, I began thinking more about the idea of being called to the consecrated life. And so along the way, I learned about not only um, being a nun or a sister, but also the idea of consecrated virginity as well. And so I did look into different religious communities, including a Carmelite community as well. However, St. Therese kind of made it clear that God was calling me to the life of consecrated virginity. So again, I would say in those experiences, it might not it might have something to do in some cases with her feast day. Like sometimes I'll know that something is happening um, because I receive a special grace or an insight around the time of her feast day. Um, So it might not always be a tangible rose, but just, I guess she very powerfully, but quietly intercedes for us, as you said, in all the areas of our life when we, where we most need answers. And I know that sometimes she'll give a scent of roses, correct? Yes. Yes. I've had that happen too before. 
So I was not a big fan of St. Therese. I kind of had a little bit of a mischaracterization of her. I'll admit it. It was terrible. Um, <laughs> I feel bad about it now. But uh, I uh, pulled a virtue card one year and she was the patron saint of that virtue card. And I kind of shoved it to the side for most that year. And then that fall, I did the novena to St. Therese. Her feast day is October 1st. Kind of forgot about it, went off to this conference. And at the conference, I'm sitting there in adoration. And this priest gets up and says, I've kind of had these relics come to me. And so tomorrow's the feast day of St. Therese. And I have a first class relic of St. Therese. And I'm like, oh my word, St. Therese <laughs> is on me. She's on. <laughs> she's found me. And I, oh yeah, I'm all in with her now. She she's, is amazing. It is amazing what she yeah. does for us. So, well, Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining us today in Catholic Women Now and giving us more insight to St. Therese and all these miracles that continue to happen in today's world with her as well. So um, how can we find the book? It's available from sophiainstitute.com or wherever Catholic books are sold. Okay. And that would be Divine Treasures here in Des Moines. Yes, so thank yes, you. Yes, thank well, let's, you. let's close with prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We just invoke your intercession, St. Therese, to send to us a shower of roses. And any of you out there listening today who are pondering something, struggling with something, to encourage you to do the novena to St. Therese, to turn to her and seek her intersection, intercession and seek her guidance in your life. And we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now go do impossible things with God. Today's Catholic Women on The Voice for Catholic Women Now. Well, the truth, beauty, and goodness of St. Therese. Good stuff this week from Catholic Women Now. If you'd like to hear other podcasts that you might have missed or make sure you don't miss future ones, check us out online, Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. And as we dive in each week, we love to see how God's Word can impact our week before it even begins. So let's get your word on the Word. This week, we're taking a look at a passage from Philippians. In it, St. Paul says to do nothing selfish and to look to the interest of others. He also says that Christ is the perfect example of humility. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walked on this earth among ordinary people. And he, the only divine human being, loved us as sinners so much that he gave his life for us. This should make you stop and ask yourself, if Jesus gave up everything for me, what am I willing to give up for him? When talking about humility, one modern-day saint generally comes up, St. Teresa of Calcutta, or Mother Teresa. She called humility the mother of all virtues. She said, if you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace, because you know what you are. And if you are blamed, you will not be discouraged. Mother Teresa also kept a list of ways to cultivate humility for the sisters in her care. This week, we challenge you to read her list of ways to be humble— and try to adapt some of them into your life. And catch us next week here on EWTN. Bye. Bye. More Word on the Word is found at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio as each and every week we get a chance to spotlight some of the awesome conversations that you don't want to miss out on. So make sure you share and follow so that way you know what's coming up and you can also catch up when you need that encouragement this week. I'm Ace McKay. I'll see you next week. Remember to let God define who you are, and I'll see you again for Catholics Coast to Coast.